Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, before we get the show started, I wanted to let you know we are giving away a bunch of brand new black magic gear. Yeah, cameras, switchers, DaVinci Resolve licenses, a bunch of awesome stuff. So stay tuned to learn how you can enter to win free gear from Black Magic, and we're going to tell you all about it later on in this episode. Now cue the music. Hey, welcome to the 256th episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. This episode is brought to you by patron Josh Tanner. I'm Matt Enlow. And I'm Warren Kaplan, and today we have the unforgettable Roxy She back on the show the she show thank you thank you for having me i'm so honored to have my own episode to you is your pronoun she s-h-e or she s-h-i-h <laughs> that's such a dad joke thank you i am a dad yes um i today, got the bot to prove it <laughs> today we are talking to roxy about what she's been up to which is way more than uh, one human should be up to. <laughs> and then we're going to dive into talking about directing other people's scripts, which is something that the three of us have all actually done a lot. We'll talk about commercials, episodic stuff, feature stuff, and how much power a director has to influence the script itself, which, you know, in turn influences the dialogue and what the actors do and all that stuff. So I think we, we've all kind of had frustrations with it and also successes in it. And we just wanted to do a deep dive into how to work with other people's scripts. Yeah, hopefully we have a few tips and tricks to help you navigate making that project a little bit better, even if it's not technically your job. <laughs> but before we get into those tips, tricks, flips, and pitfalls, uh, Roxy, I genuinely would love to know what you've been working on lately. 2021 has gotten off to a great start. And also today is the end of Mercury Retrograde. Hey, hey. And uh, I just want to... computer is working, so that's good. I right? know. I know. It's been a really it's been a really good year so far. I'm currently working on this movie that I'm so excited about. It really hits all the notes for me. It's a... I really can't say much because the announcement hasn't dropped yet. But in terms of like, you know, getting my bestest friends to work together with me on this, my most amazing collaborators, the actors I've always wanted. It really has been a blessing. And I mean that intentionally in every single way on this. And, you know, with like every project, there's pitfalls and there's obstacles and there's challenges, which I won't get too much into. But considering the relativity from my experience, it's pretty minor in this. And I think we'll always nitpick and pinpoint at it like whenever we get a chance to 
So I have four more days left. This is the last week of shooting. And then in mid-March, I head off to Toronto to work on an anthology series through the end of April. So, so far, so good. You know, it's been really turning around. Can you see the jealousy through this Google Meet conference (laughs) we're having? You know, you just got to Toronto. Demand, you just got to demand things from people, Oren. You know, you got. I gotta, read Icky guy. Like, give me. Give me nothing. Really, I'm so sorry. <laughs> For me, I just like demanding things from people until I get it. So. Wait, what are you doing in Toronto? What's an anthology series? Is it for Hulu? No, it's actually not for Hulu. There's also the announcement on this hasn't dropped either. But this wait, one... what is this? How do you? I thought every time you attach a famous person or get finance or start shooting, an announcement is made. Why well, are none of these things you know, announced? People hold off on announcements all the time because they're trying to build buzz when it's when it counts, right? Like you announce so and so is in this movie, and then also the movie's coming out in two weeks or whatever. You know that happens all the time. But you it's, think is it based on the size of the movie? Because I see on Deadline all the time, like oh, reggae, whatever his name is, is a, you know going to do a movie with J.J. Abrams, and that's like a year before shooting. I literally don't know about much that's happening with this create creatively right now. No, it's a slate of episodes and it's based off of this. Uh, I really want to say it, but I can't. When, do you know when iconic. it drops? When it drops, Roxy? I have no clue. Okay. yeah. Okay. I have no clue. But all I know is that the production has booked my ticket and I know a general outline and I haven't received the Bible yet. But it's like, you know, I think it goes into what you want to talk about today, Oren, in terms of like, you know, they hired me. I haven't really seen the materials yet, but I'm just going with blind faith based off of what they pitched me and um, who's producing it, you know, the people at the top. And Are you allowed um, to tell us the network or the studio or where well, it's going to air or any of that stuff? Eli Streaming? Roth is producing it. So that's oh. like one great thing. And I'm like, cool, great. And then also because I got this connection through Crypt TV because they liked my job on Mira a lot. So they, they gave my name to them. And Eli also apparently is a fan of my work. So, you know, he pitched me for it as well. So then I'm directing two episodes for the show. So who knows? Everything else? I don't know anything. All I know is that I'm booked. That is... <laughs> Incredible. And do you know which episodes you are in the anthology? Like which numbers? Yeah, I think they're doing eight and I am doing five and six. So I'm excited. They and gave so you didn't even topics. need to pitch on the script or anything? No, they just interviewed me. Oh, this is the one. Did I tell you guys about this? It was the one where I cried horrifically over Zoom. And then I was afraid... Did I, I tell you this? You, you told me this. I but told I don't you think this, this man. Okay, or and I'll tell you too. No, I'm pretty sure. I, I'm pretty sure. A- and everyone guys. at home. Yeah, <laughs> like, <laughs> like I just. Uh, no, this is being um, recorded. I <laughs> basically they interviewed me over Zoom. You know, all dudes, all the producers are dudes, showrunners are dudes, and they uh, one of the showrunners. He, I couldn't really get a good read on him, and he asked me, you know, what my start in genre was. And then it just really took me back to how I got started. And then I started crying because it was like the week of my period. And also I was really stressed out from shooting another show. And I and just Mercury was... Mercury <laughs> Probably, but this was like back in November. And I started crying pretty heavily. And then the first thing that came to my mind was, I hope they don't think that women are emotional. Like it just sucks that that was where my first thought went. And then the second thing was I saw how they were reacting and all of them went like oh my gosh, she's crying, what do we do? 
But all I said was like, I'm just so grateful for everything I have. And I'm so grateful for being here. Thank you for considering me. Please consider me. And you know, the craziest thing is that like so many people who have seen my work, they're just like, they see me walk into a room or talk to them. And they're like, are you the same person that directed like these horror films? And they really can't, you know, and I'm like, yeah, totally. And then I just started crying. And in my head, I'm like, I'm not going to get the job because they think that I can't ground myself. But apparently when we came back, they wanted to do the offer and they're like, you know, it's so wonderful how tuned in you are and how authentic you are and like how honestly you speak about things. And they're like, that's like one of the most precious things that like we could see in somebody. So then they offered me that. I'm really grateful. I don't know how that happened either, but all I know is that I'm going, but I don't really know what the creative is yet. (laughs) Who knows? It's fine. It'll be great. Do you get to bring a crew or anything? No. Mm-mm. Yeah, th- these horror anthologies, or just anthologies in ge- in general, sometimes, and I don't know about your show at all, obviously, Roxy, but like sometimes the business model is like kind of building a streamlined team so there are more Titan costs, so you can get people at a better rate, but you can be like, hey, do you want to work for six months, eight months, a year, or whatever? And then, you you know, they get guaranteed a certain amount of work. Right. But then the like a TV show, the, yeah, like a TV show, but with a maybe a kind of a slightly more cutthroat mentality. So sometimes, you know, I'm into that. But you know what it is? Is I love new environments and I love new challenges. So um, is they obviously need to hire all local. So I'm excited about expanding my Canadian network. You know, like obviously I have friends here that heard me talk about it and they're like hey I'll fly out on my own dime to shoot this like it sounds really cool but for me I know that if if a no means no then it just tells me that I have to step up in different ways as well yeah yeah Yeah. well and also I think that like if it's Canadian there are oftentimes very specific rules to how incentives work so like sometimes you know there's just a quota of how many people are Canadian working on a program in order to access that money so yeah i think like the third highest paid actor has to be canadian there's like all sorts of weird but that's good you know that like stimulates their economy and stimulates like yeah good for canadians (laughs) (laughs) all right clearly clearly good for canadians awesome well roxy we can't wait to learn more about the shows that you are making and the movies that you're making when you can talk about them a little bit more i'm sure you'll be back on the show to plug them but let's let's dig in a little bit i think let's uh Let's talk about the the topic of the day in just a minute, as soon as I finish talking about our Patreon page. Patreon.com slash JustShootAPod. You can go there to give us a buck or two if you want to buy us a coffee or the uh, uh, equivalent in some way. Or if you're really like feeling uh, um, like your head needs some covering, you can get our hats at the $10 donation level, which is pretty awesome as well. And 20 for t-shirts. Yeah, if you're interested in coverage for your head. send us 10 bucks Uh, i just sent out three hats the other day mailed them out of palm springs the usps there so they're never gonna get there they're gonna be in a time warp you never stop working orange have you guys been to palm springs recently 
Hey folks, we're interrupting this incredible episode of the podcast to tell you about a new sponsor that we're working with, Front Row Insurance Brokers. One of the challenges of being a filmmaker is that there's a lot of risks that we take and we really just want to focus on making good stuff. So what if there was a company that could take those risks, manage them for us while we are being artists? That's right. Front Row Insurance Brokers arranges film production insurance to cover the risks associated with your production. They cover features, TV shows, documentaries, commercials, music videos, webisodes, basically anything you can watch on big media or phone-sized screens. Yeah, Front Row will help you focus on your artistic vision by transferring all the risks to them and minimizing your production hazards. And they cover any budget from $2,000 all the way up to $200 million. There's nothing that's too small or too big. If you are shooting in Canada, use coupon code JUSTSHOOTIT50 off for 50 bucks off your film production insurance. That's promo code JUSTSHOOTIT50 off to save 50 bucks. And if you're shooting in the U.S., that same code can be redeemed offline by mentioning it to a broker, or by email, or over the phone. It's like a cool password if you're in the U.S. That's just shoot it 50 off. Check him out. Let us know how it goes. I have, yes. Yeah. Did you see that? Well, when I just went this past week, they have all these Palm Springs billboards. And it's like, there's signs that say today, tomorrow, anytime. Like these various billboards that are kind of arranged around the freeways oh, and things to imply the timelessness of Palm Springs. It's pretty cool, <laughs> I thought. That's fun. That's great. How also, got to give a shout out to the awesome DP who shot that Queen Tran, my sister. Oh. Yeah, she's amazing. And like, she's like one of the pioneering like female Asian DPs that really paved the way for a lot of them. So she's awesome. So I want to give her a shout out for that. Great job on Palm Springs. Awesome. I hope she's listening to our she probably to this episode. She, she, she actually created a sourdough bread company with another DP, John Tyson, and they're called the Dough Rectors of Photography. <laughs> so they make like bread for those who need it. It's I'm amazing. offended by that. <laughs> I'm a Dough Rector. If you, dear listeners, uh, are fans of the movie Palm Springs, we had the director and writer on in the past. So you can check out that episode also. And also, the QN Tran was the cinematographer of Girlfriend, which was Justin Lerner's first movie, who was also on the show. Look at that. Yeah, oh I know I knew the I name for some reason. that movie. Girlfriend? The Girlfriend was so good. It was, oh. It was a play at South by like 2014. I remember watching it. Very yeah, yeah. 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 Okay, cool. Yeah. So the reason I wanted to talk about this is because, as many of our listeners know, I've been working in commercials a lot lately, but also I've been doing some branded content, which is basically my description of it is a longer commercial that definitely will not be on tv <laughs> yeah it's out but there's a little bit of like uh, sketch comedy elements to it as well there's a little more of a story sometimes you know it's not uh, I, to me a, a, a commercial especially like a 15 but even a 30 it's kind of like set up it's like set up punchline card yeah you know I, sure but you can have a 60 second commercial or even like a two minute commercial or six second Branded stuff. The, the way I used to dif differentiate branded content and commercials is that I always thought of a commercial as something you pay someone to watch and branded content as something where the content on its own is supposed to get people interested. Like when you're trying to make a viral video, it's branded content, you know, uh, and when you make a 30 second commercial that you put on the Super Bowl, you pay millions of dollars to have people watch it. I think that those two things have definitely overlapped a lot where there's a lot of commercials nowadays that are viral even like those super bowl commercials that are spread on their own on the internet and then there's a lot of branded content and matt you probably know about this that people pay to have seen sure you know 
You, well, that's you that's where Roxy and I first met each other. Even it's like yeah. using a lot of influencers or existing IP and partnering with them to you know use the brands and their content. And that's how I've always associated branded content as. And it allows more flexibility to be more creative and have more autonomy with like how the influencers or content creators choose to brand that brand. Right. Yeah. And also is like a low budget commercial. <laughs> <laughs> that is a good way of putting it. Though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And why sometimes I think about it that way is because you're still kind of selling stuff a lot of times, especially with the like two to three minute branded content. Like Lexus is going to make a, you know, a short film with these two comedians for, that's three minutes long. And at the end of the day, it's we just got to make sure they're doing this thing with the Lexus and it empowers them to do something better in their life. And so in a 30 second commercial or a 15, even you would work on every single word and you'd make sure every single thing is so tight and every color is intentional and every movement, every camera movement to get, you know, like 50% story and 50% selling. Now we're, we're spending like a minute and a half selling you these features of the Lexus and we're, every word isn't so precious. And it just kind of, I think, usually ends up being a bad commercial, I think. <laughs> um, yeah, a, a bad commercial and very rarely a, like a funny sketch or video, you know, like to Roxy's point about like, oh, it's influencers or, or pre-existing content creators maybe like putting their stamp or spin on something. You know, if if Jerry Seinfeld was supposed to do uh, uh, two com- uh, comedians in the cars getting coffee in a Lexus it would be the worst episode of that show and the worst Lexus commercial, basically. Right, and right. they would bring in a different director and different producer, and then the legal team would say, like, well, we can't make fun of this thing, you know, and it just gets watered down. So anyhow... And their audience calls it out, too, immediately. Oh, yeah, know? and I've done so many things with influencers where we're literally trying to copy their style, and it just ends up not being anywhere near as good as something that they would have just done on their own at home because we are removing the i don't the need the word factor. authenticity but yeah, yeah the x factor we're taking just the person that is actually an amazing director and editor and writer and we're making them just into an actor and replacing all those other things around them with uh you know, like young advertising people that actually don't understand the magic that goes into being an influencer anyhow so I, i've done a lot of this stuff recently and i've oftentimes think the scripts aren't as tight as they can be, aren't as clear as they can be, aren't as funny as they can be. And I found that like pushing back is really hard. And I wanted to talk a little bit about that in the commercial world and the episodic world and in the feature world, how you guys deal with getting scripts that you like, but don't love and how much you push back to change the dialogue, to change the blocking, to rearrange scenes. Because I think a lot of times, because we're directors, we're thinking of the whole process of making a movie from the writing to the distribution, the editing and everything. And we think maybe we can take a clunky script and fix it in the shoot and fix it in post. But a lot of times that that doesn't work as well as we had hoped. So have you guys had experiences where you're directing scripts that you don't love and what do you do in that situation? So, Roxy, let's start with you. Because, like I said, we, you and I first met doing branded content together, right? And this was back when you were producing. But but still, you you were the, I would say, the main confidant between this group of people who were, you know, creators, content creators, basically. You knew the studio. You knew the content creators. How did you approach kind of adjusting the 
content at all. Like, I, I'm trying to remember how you and I approached it, you know? And maybe was there a time that directors were overstepping their bounds by trying to change things? Yes, know? that's a, oh, that's a great question, Oren. So the most important thing is you have to know what your role is. And even, I think, to be even more specific in the type of job of knowing what your role is, because it's all different, right? The expectations are different for every single subcategory that we're talking about. So Matt and all the directors that I've worked with all have previous relationships with the content uh, creators. There was never a situation where they brought someone in like completely blind or just off of um, their materials or that they don't know personally. There isn't enough trust there. Actually, Roxy, not to contradict you, but that first job with um, Defy, I think the first one that you and I worked together, I did not know those guys. Wait, really? Mm-hmm. I came in for an interview, but oh. that was it. Yeah. It was not like we were homies or something. It wasn't like... Oh, yes, you know. it was an interview. Yours was like, you yeah. were the exception. Because for the most part, it was like, they these directors always knew what the job entailed. They were like, okay, this is it. How far can I push it? Oh, I try. They would probably ask once. If it gets shut down by the people at the top, then they're like, okay, then that's just what it is. The great thing about working with Defy was that the creators had a lot of ownership over their content. So they had more of a voice than the director ever did. If they want to do something, they, they talk to the brand, right? I was just the person who executed everything. I was the one that was kind of creative with like the logical, with the, with the people at the top, with the cooks in the kitchen, just trying to marry it all together so we could get it all done and make sure we're all on the same page, right? But even with this like commercials, branded content, to me, at the end of the day, you are using your skill as a service. And if you see something, you push, but it's not worth wasting your energy or trying, you know, when you're overstepping, right? And when you're overstepping, that's like the other, you know, the other side will notice and you have to ask yourself, am I willing to fight for this creative push that I want so much that my next job with them is potentially at risk. So then you have to ask yourself, is this regarding my financial sustainability or is this regarding my own personal ego regarding this project that who's going to see? How long is it going to live, right? So I think with everything, like obviously with a feature that you finance yourself, you're going to be hell or high water. It's going to be my thing. I'm going to decide everything. I'm going to take ownership of it. But in this situation, in this particular landscape, you are contracted. And I'm speaking as a producer here. You are contracted for a certain amount of time. Your days are contracted, right? You know what I mean? You are expected to deliver. You're expect, you know, they say producers have final cut, right? On your, on your contract. So you have to manage your expectations on how much you're willing to put in creatively as well to not get hurt when you get rejected. Yeah. And a lot of times you're not even included in the post-production as the director, in which case everything you fought for on set that you're like, well, let's just do this outline and let's do this and let's do a version of this and maybe we'll record this and we'll reverse the footage in post to make it work. The editor is never going to do any of that stuff. I will admit that one hurts the most. That part hurts the most, like... I, you know, it's happens. funny thinking about the the last job that you and I did together, Roxy. I remember there were certain circumstances where like word got back to me that like people were complaining about some coverage that I'd shot. 
And I oh, remember I heard about that. Yeah, yeah, sure, of course. Over the uh, shoulder, over come la- on, man. Lack of coverage. Get that shoulder out of there. Trying to see <laughs> you know what it was? It was like it, 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 we were just getting like really tight at the end of the day. Do you remember this rock? Was, was this like, monster ca- ca- monster yeah, yeah, castles? Yeah, oh, okay, yeah. So, so there's like a big battle at the end of the day, and it's. I remember it just being like, well, we all knew that this was overly ambitious. And I just shot it extra wide so that we could do some punch-ins and like steal coverage that way. Smart. And it to yeah. your, or to, to your point, right. It was like what you have to do, right? But because there was like a lack of communication between myself and like the other guy who did a lot of their videos, he was like, oh, I guess I'll have to figure out how to save this by like quote unquote creating coverage and punching in on this on these shots. And I was like, bro, that's what I did for you. That was that was the plan. But, like, there's that thing, Orn, like you were saying, of, like, you fight for these things on set, and because oftentimes you don't have, like, great communication with people thereafter, where even the things that you're doing to facilitate making things even better, they can get lost, or someone else can take credit for the idea that you teed up for them, basically. Yeah. That actually would not bother me at all if someone else took credit for an idea, as long as it's good, you know. But I've been on jobs where I've literally made an animatic, done a sample, like shot the whole commercial myself with me acting in it, you know, at home, cut it together to music, the pacing, and then, you know, wrote three pages of notes to the editor after the shoot day to just explain why we got the footage, that we did a series, that the end, you know, end of this thing should cut to here, or this flows to that, or here's how this transition works. And then I get an edit and it has nothing (laughs) <laughs> that I, none of the things I intended in it and then I get one round you know of that emails. really hurts like I, I have to say like when you invest that much energy creative energy physical energy into something that's your own and brilliant and for them to barely even acknowledge like that really sucks you know that that's what creates jadedness you know um, and you're like why do I keep putting up so much of my time and energy but then it's our jobs to stay creative. It's our jobs to push, right? Yeah. I mean, I've taken dailies before and just cut my own version to show the editor like what my intention was because they are not doing it. And when I have time, it's great. And sometimes they're like, oh, awesome. Yeah, send us your project. We'll work off of that. And other times they're like, please stop bugging us. You know, it's funny because like what you said earlier, Roxy, is like, how much are you willing to fight? And are you willing to risk not ever working for this company again because you're fighting so hard. But I think there's two reasons a company never hires you again, right? One is you're difficult to work with, right? And they don't want to work with someone difficult. That's the fighting too hard. The other reason is because you made something that nobody cares for. It's not interesting. It's not funny. You pitch this amazing pitch and told them how great it's going to be if they hire you. And then it wasn't that great. And so... I think, this is my theory, it's totally unproven and untested, and I'm curious about your take on it. But my theory is that if you were difficult to work with, but what you made is so good that they get compliments on it, it's at the top of their website, it's on their company reel, it gets aired, they want to now make a German version because they loved it so much in the US. No matter how difficult you are, they will probably still put you at the top of the list if they want to hire someone. But if you weren't difficult, if you were great, to work with, super friendly. You pitched some ideas. They didn't really take them because the budget was tight and the client already approved this and this and this and this. And they didn't want to fight or make waves. And the final product just kind of, you know, hits the internet like a whoopee cushion and nobody watches it. The chances of them hiring you again 
versus going to someone new and exciting and it's going to give them a new pitch that they're fighting for, it, you know, I think is lower. And that's, I feel like I've been in this situation so many times where I'm pitching on something and I just got it. And I tell everyone like, Matt, I tell people on the podcast, like, I just got this thing. It's so cool. We're going to do this. and We're going to do this. And it's going to flip in the camera upside down. We've got this amazing celebrity and all these things. And then we shoot it and it doesn't come out great. And it's like, okay, I just spent a month of my life on, you know, just money. 30 cents of mediocrity. Yeah. Yeah. To pay. Yeah. I think also to your, your point though, of like, oh, it does hurt your, you know, your financial stability, right? Because at a certain point you can keep, you can kind of like not worry about it and let it roll off your back. And then all of a sudden your reel isn't good anymore or it's 10 years old or five years old, you know? I will share something super secret, even though I'm just, I'm going to be saying this on the podcast. And I think it's important that your audience knows this. I don't think for me, it's my craft. And I will say that, I know I'm talented, but I don't think it's that. Our ability to read a room, right? Like our intuition, we understand humanity. Like that's our job, right? So I recently finished my job with Crypt TV, Mirror Mirror. And uh, the post process was just like, you do your director's cut, and that's it. And I got really nervous because I said, I picked my composer. I picked, we're going to be mixing here. I'm like, how do I be a part of that process? Right. And so people, it's all about navigating your political and social political relationships behind the scenes. So then I said to, you know, the EP, I, you know, he gave me a phone call and he's like, Hey, like, I kind of want to switch out this editor. I'm like, cool, cool, cool. Um, you don't like the director's cuts. That's totally fine. I'm open to this. Is my job done here? And on my contract, it said, after I deliver my director's cuts, that's it. And then he says, well, usually, yeah. And I said, hey, listen, I don't want to be difficult. That's not my job as a filmmaker. I'm here to be a resource for you. And I want this project to be the best it could be. I know there's a lot of confusion because a lot of things change during production. And I said, I just want to be a resource, you know, and I'm working on this other job. You know what I mean? I'm not going to be there all the time, but please keep me on the producer's cuts. And hopefully, can I be at the mix, right? It was a lot to ask right away. But then, you know, I would check in once in a while. I put in a couple of my thoughts, but I never pushed that this has to be like this. I never, ever said that. I said, um, it wouldn't make sense if this didn't happen. You know, I said, this is the intention of this scene. It will be really important that we keep that, but I'm not going to fight for it. And usually when that happens, they allow me to keep it because I'm not forcing it down anyone's throat because I know it's not my IP. So then as we got close to finishing, the post producer loved me so much. And she was like, Roxy, we're doing the mix. Here's a schedule. Would you like to come in person? And I said, yes, I would love to attend. And there we were able, I was able to give notes. I was able to actually collaborate with the producers. And then I asked them like, did other directors on the other shows do this? They're like, no, because they took too long to decide. Um, it would take forever, you know, and they were too precious about everything. But they're like, but with you, it's a true collaboration. It's just a discussion, you know? And I think what a lot of directors fail to realize is that you are collaborating with, you know, the people at the top. Like, it's your vision, sure, or you're, you know, redefining um, an IP or something like that. But you really need to work on your interpersonal skills because at the end of the day, there's still business relationships, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I that's, that's how right I on. did it. I think yeah. it's complicated also because 
I do the exact sort of thing early on, right? Where I kind of, I'm like, look, I'm a soup to, soup to nuts director. You know, I care a lot about the mix. I care a lot about the color. Like I'm going to be involved with that stuff. I want a flat rate. Like I don't want to like be divided up into like hourly or, or day or month or week or whatever. Like I'm going to ride this thing through uh, with you. And I don't want money to be a, a concern about whether or not they can afford to have me be part of the mix or not. The tricky thing with that is that at a certain point, there are DGA mandates. You know, there's very specific rules. And so, you know, it's a complicated thing because in a sense, Roxy, you're working for free to make their show better. And we all see how like, oh, obviously we want our shows to be as awesome as possible. That's going to lead to the next job where artists like this is it's more than just putting in the time. Right. Um, but there I think as we continue to elevate that all becomes a little bit more complicated. And so, but I think also you get more resources on set to have really thorough stage notes and script notes and like that sort of, there's there's more other systems to, to help mitigate that, that totally. problem. Totally. Yeah, I see what you're saying as well. And for me, I think it just comes down to your personal preferences because for me it was like, oh, I was in prep for another show. The money they paid me was good. You know, I wasn't going to nickel and dime and I was very willing to, put myself out there for like once a week, you know? So they, they obviously they're like, nothing's mandatory, but the invitation is there. You're exactly right. And the, the actors want to do that too. Everyone wants to do that, right? You are right. And I think, I think we all just are going to continue to redefine what our own personal standards are the further along we go. Do you know what I mean? It's the same thing that Oren's, you know, like editing, you know, the, these, these pieces in advance when it's not his job. It's kind of like, we're all just so committed, you know? Well, what I've found it through the years is just how insanely important the producer is, you know, the producer's taste, the producer's budgeting skills that, you know, I've just met so many producers that do not care about color correction and the mix, which for our listeners that haven't been through like a whole post-production process when we say the mix we're talking about the sound mix and that's where you know we get together and we figure out how the sound design and the dialogue and the music all play together and interplay and and how they build the soundtrack of our work so just just for those done with the mixes but how many branded things have you done where they're like oh yeah the editor is just going to do the color or we're just going to do the color and premiere and it's like you look at the best production companies in la you know smuggler and anonymous content directors whatever all these giant commercial or companies that are making Super Bowl commercials, even if they had a no budget project where they had to put the money in themselves, they would not color their stuff in Premiere. You know, they would take care with the color. They would take care with the mix. They would take care with any sort of fix it visual effects because they know that especially when you work on lower budget stuff, the reason you do it is to get bigger budget things, you know, and when you don't take things all the way to the finish line, it's frustrating. I mean, I worked on this project, you know, at the end of last year where they're like, oh, yeah, we we can't afford the senior editors. So we're going to put the junior editor on there. It's like, OK, well, the junior editors like never edited this type of thing before. <laughs> like, how is that going to be good? Why are we all working so hard and we're spending so much money getting these crazy animals and this crazy location and all this stuff, steady camp, whatever we do. And then at the end, you're going to give it to like the junior editor. And then you're going to say like, well, the client likes the first cut. So we're just going to go with that. When we all know that the first cut it's not good, you know, like it could be so much better. 
Um, and there's just this attitude of like the client, the client approved it. So let's, let's just be done. Or, and I think that there is a thing that the mentality of like, we all know it could be better. I think there's a huge chasm between looking at something. I feel this way about VFX sometimes, right? Because my vocabulary and my eye are not as tuned in as they could be. I know that it could be better, but I cannot articulate how or, or what's bumping or, or who I need to talk to, to to improve the composite or the liquid simulation or whatever. You know what I mean? Like there, there's stuff that's over my head. And I think that there's a lot of people in this industry who are super, super, super talented and intelligent and all of that, but are focused in things that do not require them to hone the ability to look at it and edit, listen to a mix, look at color and see the potential. And so I do not know that everyone sees the things that we all see and therefore the room for improvement. Right. So that's why, what I mean by a great producer, you know, that's a, they see those things or they know enough that to know that they don't know if that's going to, but, but beyond color and sound, which I agree, like a lot of people can't tell the difference is comedy. Like, you know, when you see this Geico commercial, it's cracking you up. And you know, when you see our commercial that had a funny concept and you're not laughing, you know, like, why is that? And like, what can, can it be fixed in sound or in framing or in the edit or in music? You know, I don't know. In horror, I'm sure it's happened to you, Roxy, where you're like, well, I know we created this really, this moment that has potential to be so scary and it plays kind of flat. Like you're kind of giving it away or you're showing, you know, Roxy's up in there though. Roxy's in there. No, I mean, I mean, sometimes she is. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I mean, sometimes when you're talking against 20 people's notes on Frame.io and you're so daunted and overwhelmed by everyone putting in their one note about this one stinger, right? And you're just like, well, is it even worth saying? It, it, it does feel very defeating. I'm not going to lie. And if I really want to push for something, I text directly to like my producer like oh you, you back channel like because that, the right? thing is that everyone th- you know knows that i'm like very lovely very collaborative very warm and i make everyone laugh right but when i turn on the serious voice you know what i mean <laughs> when 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 roxy has her big sure. voice roxy yeah, um, yeah. comes on and i'm super serious about something and i'm like you know why is this note coming in so late we approve vfx on this like five passes ago you know like something like that like like if i really the thing about it is if i'm really serious people will hear it right away and take it seriously right so i agree it's like my gosh talking about the producer is so important because they really need to be on your side Right. Like, Oren, you said that your friend vouch, vouched for you for this project. I mean, are they on the project at all? Yes, they are. Did you tell them how you felt? Yes. And they said, so this is a corporation I'm working for and they make a lot of branded content. Like they shoot multiple things a week. So basically and they don't care. Like there's just like poop it out. They make the directors compete just as hard as you would with like a TV commercial. Right. Treatments. Do this. Explain to us why we should hire you. Da, da, da. But once you get the job and you're like, hey, so advertising is weird. But also, you know, I think features and episodic are the same thing where you have to convince them you love their creative work. And then once you get the job, that's when you like kind of start trying to tweak things. So in this situation, you know, I, I got the job and they're like, you you took the job, like, just do it. Who cares? They're like, yeah, this is all of the things we make have like little issues here and there. We have all these brand guidelines we have to work with like what like just don't worry about it just shoot it who cares or like when you're on set yeah just do your own version 
I'm like, okay, but they're never going to use my own version. And everyone's going to be mad at me that I wasted time shooting something that we're not going to use, you know? So the short answer to your question, Roxy, the context to our listeners are, I got this job where I'm trying to change the script quite a bit and I'm pitching ideas that I think are good. And I, I also feel like I have a much kind of deeper background and like kind of branded comedy stuff than some of these people. And everyone's like, okay. And they're saying okay to my face and not integrate, not taking any of my ideas, not putting anything in the script. And so what I did today actually is I shot the thing myself (laughs) in my kitchen and I tweaked the script a little bit and I'm sending them the cut because they, well, my shot list is due tomorrow. They're like, we need a shot list in the morning. So I started working on the shot list and there's some like kind of fun little like kind of super simple VFX like split, split screen type things in it. And I was like, why am I making this shot list when I can just like shoot this and show photos and then it'll be so much easier with the storyboard artist too. I can just show him like my stills and stuff. So You're like the biggest anyway. overachiever I've ever met. Like I would see your little videos like on Facebook and stuff and so impressed like yeah, well, with all the time. I'm like, how do you have time? You don't have time. You're constantly doing this even when it's well, not required of you. I just find it easier to communicate via camera and right. edit sometimes than via words. See, that's like so different because I don't do commercials. And I know how specific it is. I would completely fail and die in that space. Like I would not survive because I'm such a messy person. And I talk about my feelings all the time. The, <laughs> there's some looseness. No, I, I think you do do great, Roxy. But I, I think that it's, it's funny. The thing, I, having known Orn for a long time now... And having his style evolve, Oren, do you find that? I, I think that there you have the, the double-edged sword of it's super impressive and super cool. And it's got a, like this wow factor where people are like, oh, man, Oren really knows what he wants. And that sometimes that can be misconstrued on the back end of being pushy in a sense. Do you know what I mean? It's like, like. It's a it's the the more polished version of asking an editor like, hey, can I just can yeah, I just touch take the, the keyboard. touch the keyboard for give me can I just show you what I mean? You know? Yeah, I don't think at this stage before the shoot it's people would think it's pushy. I mean I mean more globally, less specifically about this project, but I feel like as your boards and your previs have become more specific. I think people think I'm pushy when in post they do something totally different with the footage I got. And I'm like, hey, I made this animatic that's perfectly edited exactly the way it should be edited. Why are you not using that as a guide in your edit? That's when I think it's pushy. Um, but I think before that, they're just either they're like, oh, cool. And a lot of times they're like, okay, great. Uh, moving on. And th- the other thing that happens sometimes is I do a real half-assed version of this. You know, I'm shooting things with my iPhone, with my Sony, no lights. I'm literally just showing them the idea of how the pieces fit together. A lot of times I'm shooting it myself with a tripod, so there's no camera movement. And so sometimes I kind of box myself in because then they're like, oh, yeah, well, in your reference, there's no camera movement. And I'm like, yeah, but that's because I was shooting it myself. I want to add camera movement. So there is like a little bit of that element. But no, in general, it's a really good exercise for me because a lot of times I realize the things that aren't going to work when I do it myself. And you know, we actually had Mercedes Bryce Morgan. She's actually one of our, I think, first year or second year podcast guests. And she talked to us about how she blocks all her fight scenes and action scenes with her iPhone 
And I was like, why the hell am I not doing that? That's like so genius, you know? And so that was, I think, part, I know Freddie W, like a lot of these people were doing it for a long time. And it just, I kind of was thinking like, it's dumb not to do it. Like I have all the tools to show someone what I'm thinking and to test my ideas out. Why not do that as opposed to going on set and we've all been on set and we start shooting something because we had an idea and it's not quite working and we're just kind of like trying to force it to work. Trying to, try, trying to cram it in. So, well, look, yeah, I, I, I think, I feel like maybe we've got a, a decent handle on the challenges uh, and the reasons why we would push back on, on commercial and branded content, right? But let's talk a little bit more about episodic and I think features in particular, I think are the other that's the other big bucket, right? Episodic, I think, Roxy, you alluded to when we talked about a little bit with Mira Mira, your show on Crypt TV and Facebook Watch. But yeah, so let, let's hop into talking about Episodic a little bit. Roxy, you have a new show called Mira Mira out on uh, Facebook Watch. It's a Crypt TV show. It's You mentioned it a little bit earlier. Let's talk a little bit about the way that you approach revising screenplays that you maybe, or teleplays, I should say, that you just recently get and what, what the boundaries are for you in terms of a show that's already greenlit, already in pre-production. You already have the job. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. But but I do think it's probably worth just lumping in episodic and features when you're the only director on an episodic show. It's different if you're going to a guest director on an episode of Bridgerton or whatever. You're doing episode seven of season two. If you're not a co-EP or EP, yeah, yeah. that's kind of like what I think Roxy's joke before was like, you just can't, you can't do much, right? Right. You're very much director for hire. Yeah, yeah. But but when you have a little bit more ownership, you're doing the entire season, or you're an EP, or it's a feature. But you did not originally write the material. Yeah, I mean, 99% of my narrative jobs are written by other people. I think I have relationships at this point where producers will just come to me with a script and be like, are you available? We're going to be shooting this, right? So going back to what the two of you have said... It's very true. You need to have somebody on the project that's your champion. So one of the EPs, you know, one of the head creatives or someone who's a producer on it. So that's how I got the Crip job was because um, one of the EPs has been a longtime fan of mine and she's been wanting to work with me for a very long time. So when she came to me with the basic idea without pre-script, I was just going off. I was just pitching a bunch of different ideas. She loved all of them. Okay, they disappeared for like months. And then suddenly... I got these scripts a month before I went out to shoot. Did you have the job already when you were pitching the ideas? No. So literally, like, um, I think it all just sort of came out of nowhere. And they were like, we want you for this. We have scripts that are coming in a week. Please take a look at them and tell us what you think. So when you ask me that or you give me that opening, I'm going to tell you what I think, right? So then I was very honest about how I felt about it. I said, there's a good foundation here, but I think we could grow upon it. Also, I have all these logic questions. This is not going to make sense to your audience. And how do we um, make them care about our characters, right? And just to clarify, uh, Mira Mira, is there's like a a few like specific mechanics. It's kind of like a creature feature sort of vibe. But so there's a lot of world building. And so the logic is important because if it falls apart... You know, you're working in a magical world. If the logic falls apart, then it pulls the audience out. And then all of a sudden they're not scared or thrilled or engaged in any way. So it's like it is a big deal, basically. The mythos, you know, of the creature. So you are given this huge responsibility. So then after that, I was like, I laid it all out in the open and waited to see how they all felt. And because you have someone and I think 
I, I talk about clout a lot because if it wasn't for people respecting me, they wouldn't listen to me. You know, I would just be a director for hire and I would just be like, yeah, just shoot whatever's on the script and just do your best with the guidelines that's given to you. And and that really puts you in a corner, you know? So then um, I, I take that opportunity when they ask you, what are your thoughts? I'm going to take that and run with it, you know, as far as I can. And then they were open to changes. And that's when I'm like, okay, I suggest like, are we right? You know, I suggest, can we do this? Is it possible? Can we bring someone in? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and so let, let's dig in a little bit more on that, right? So, like, once you get permission, right? Like, you, you, your people are like, okay, we see your point. Like, we do need to tweak things a little bit. Are you pulling out final draft and doing the writing yourself? Are you suggesting a writer? Are you like, how does it work? And do you how always do you- have the solutions, or do you just have the problems? No, I always have a solution. So I, I'm very open about my flaws as well. So I'm not a writer, and Lo knows this. And I would tell them, my strength is not writing, but I'm really happy to build with someone here, a couple of people that you could reach out with that I think would be, be will kill this and knock it out of the park within this time frame, right? And they may bite and they might not, but then they heard me and they're like, yes, we'll pair you with the writer. How about someone from our team? I'm like, dope, down. The fact that they were willing to change things around was enough for me. Right? But let's 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 talk about the logistics yeah. a little bit because I think that you know there's a lot of different ways to skin a cat. How do you like to work? Are you getting in the room with them, pitching them ideas, and then they run away and, and write? Are you well, like how how do you specifically implement these changes that you need? I never micromanage. For me, I know a general direction and what I'm feeling and how I'm seeing things. So then they come back to me. They're like, "Yeah, we're open to a rewrite." or a new version, but we want to keep these elements. And I go, okay, and here's what I want to see, right? So then I talk to the writer and I'm like, hey, they want to keep this. I want to make this about this. At the end of this, these relationships, whatever. Have you have to, to pitch, you have to get the producers to approve your pitch. Oh, 100%, 100%. So usually they'll be like, yes, we're down with that. And then I get to work with the writer afterwards. And it was a really wonderful process. The writer would send me the version first, I would approve it, then he'll send it to the whole team and be like, hey, Roxy already has eyes on episodes one through four. Here are the drafts. Open to your thoughts. And then it became a workflow, uh, although we didn't have a lot of time. So it got a little sure, crazy at the end. And, but, and so, um, but yeah. These pitches, though, they're with a, a production restriction in mind, right? Like you're not, you're not like, hey, I'm adding 16 new cool monsters, even though that's probably a cool idea or all of these different characters or different locations, you you still have to come at it from the realities of the fact that you were making a show like this in just a few weeks, right? A hundred. So they'll, they'll say like, yeah, we still want to keep this one location, not to one kill an episode, you know, something like that. And I'm like, great. Yeah, me neither. I'm like, I don't want to get too crazy. I know I have limited time. I've been doing this for a while now. The last thing I want to do is to be hauling magic out of my ass last minute, Right. And um, it was a tough shoot. It was like all overnights in Utah winter weather. Like it in was not COVID, pleasant, right? During yeah. COVID, yeah. yeah. On and skis. You 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 know what your battles are, you know. So you have to carefully choose them, and that only comes with experience, honestly. Yeah. And so, have you ever pitched dialogue changes, scene changes that were rejected? Not necessarily on Mira Mira, but on any of the projects that you've done. 
Well, I'm lucky to say that this production company I've been working with on this movie and on the feature I did in November, the producer was never behind monitor. She's like, just make the best movie you can, collaborate with the actors. Very lucky. So I have a lot of autonomy on these movies. And then with Mira, you have a producer next to you and she lets me do what I want first. And then she'll be like at the end, hey, can we still get this line? You know, it was written this way. And I'll go, yeah, we'll pick that up. So it's actually the reverse, Oren, of like, get them what they want and then doing your thing, you know? <laughs> but I think that, that there, there is a thing to point out, though, because like in, you know, in comedy, you do a lot of improv and stuff like that. And I, I'll always do the spiel of like, hey, we're going to go ahead and get it scripted. And also we're going to have a fun run or whatever, blah, blah, blah. But all of those changes, quote unquote, they're all pretty minor and pretty like you're tweaking a scare or you're tweaking a joke or or but it's all within the confines of the scene. And I think Oren, maybe you're trying to get at like the bigger things that need to get tweaked. Like like I think that it's one thing to be like, "Hey producer, watch what I do on this take." And then you try a take or two and it's it's different and maybe they use it or maybe they don't. But like w- let's talk about the the more foundational things that need to get massaged or reworked or, or or character turns even right like well the thing is that the actors can only operate within a certain amount of space that you give them for that scene so if you ask them to try new things they can't go from like complete 180 from it you know they can't recalibrate right. that. that that's why you have to do it at the script stage before you set correct um I mean, just hearing Roxy and you talk, Matt, I was thinking about my experience on Miss 2059, which is a that Go 90 show. And Anaconda. Yeah. Did and you do that? I did the first season, yeah. Oh, that's amazing. And the, she was very involved in the creative, but the showrunners were uh, this guy, Simon Gantz and Aaron Brownstein, who were writing on Santa Clarita Diet at the time. And they went on to write. Uh, they, they're very successful TV writers now. But my experience on that show with them was we changed a lot of the things we removed a character there was a lot of production things that they had written in there that were just impossible to do on our schedule and budget just thinking about that experience versus some other experiences especially in the branded content space i find that the more experienced the writers are the easier it is to get them to change things you know for them to be like, oh, you know what? That's right. Let, that would be better. Let's try this. Or, well, we could change this, but it will ruin this thing. So maybe we can find a new fix for it. Or, Whereas, or if you're just like, hey, this is too expensive. Like, Yeah, let's the, find another thing. They'll be like, okay, well, we'll figure something else out rather than like, what? No. It yeah. has to be a, a, a talking dragon or the show doesn't work. <laughs> right. Like the experienced writers know ideas are a dime a dozen that you can always find many solutions to a problem. And the newer writers are like, well, this joke is so funny. Or this one punchline is what the whole reason I wanted to write this thing. So we can't get rid (laughs) of that. They're so attached. They can't let go. Yeah. Yeah. And when, you know, in the shorter stuff, when it's like there's 20 sentences in this whole thing and you're trying to change five of them, it's like, nope, sorry. Um, So, yeah, I don't know. I I think it's it's interesting. And I do think my what I've been doing is is I have been wanting to get paid and not make un, make waves that will prevent me from working with these people again. So I feel like I I give up a lot, but um, I, <laughs> I get frustrated. Well, you, you know what I'm hearing, though? I think the, the synthesis of what Roxy's previous point was and Oren, what your point is, is like, do what you can to lay the groundwork, right? Because you can't 
in improv or or in the scene throw a curveball to an actor and also like you can't do true rewrites right like there's not there's only so much that you can change before things just go so bonkers that you lose control of the set and the control of the day and your actors don't trust you anymore and you're right? wasting time shooting like 40 alt versions of things yeah yeah you only use one of them yeah we all know that like by the time you're on set if the character's supposed to die at the end of the scene maybe they do it a slightly different way one way or another a couple different takes they try a, a more flamboyant death or something but they still have to die at the end of the scene so if you're like, hey, this character should live until episode 35, you got to figure that out with your writers in advance. Um, and especially if there's visual effects or weird things that, uh, you know, or continuity issues that you can't mess up. It's it's hard. I do want to just a quick aside based on what you said, Roxy, which I thought was interesting about your two back to back experiences. One where your producer was standing by you at the monitor the whole time and the next one where the producer was like, I trust you, do whatever you want. My first movie, The Hammer, it was written by the producers who also acted in it. And they were very involved in every decision. We, Our main actor, he was going to play this uh, famous UFC fighter and he wanted to change his eye color with the contacts, colored contacts to match the real guy's eye color. And I was like, yeah, I mean, if that put, puts you in character or whatever and you feel better having blue eyes as opposed to brown eyes, like, let, let's try it out. Let's see what it looks like. And the producers saw us trying it out and they got so mad. They're like, fake contacts? Like, it's going to look so fake. Everyone's going to laugh. And they were so involved in every decision. And in general, it was it was a hard production, so they couldn't always be by the monitor. But the first few days went really well. And I think they kind of trusted me and were a little looser, but but very involved in the edit and the script and everything. They made a movie right after that, a little lower budget, but it had Jesse Eisenberg in it. So I'm like, cool, cast people and stuff. And they hadn't written the script and they were never at the monitor and they were never, they just let the director do whatever he wanted the whole time. And I remember thinking how cool that was. And then hearing him at the end of the shoot saying like, man, that kind of was a little sad because like, it seemed like nobody cared about the movie other than me. And I'm curious what your, th- what your experience is because I actually... I don't mind a lot of opinions. I don't mind fighting. I don't mind debates. All I want is people that are fighting to make the thing better, you know? And that's why I get you know, frustrated when a producer's like, we're not going to do color because we, we can't afford it. We don't need it, you know? That's more frustrating to me than a producer saying like, we're not going to frame store. We're going to company three, you know? Like I'd rather them fight me to make something better than fight me to just have the, make the client happy and save the budget. So I'm curious with your experience, Roxy, what you prefer. Do you like kind of having that autonomy or do you do you like having someone on next to you fighting for things i think it really depends on the project because you know this company they poop out like seven movies a year so she has a lot on her hands but also it's like i get to hire whoever i want you know and these people hold me accountable if my dp knows i didn't like to take it i said yeah let's move on they're gonna tell me roxy you didn't get it and you know it Like, this is the intimacy that I have with my community. So I think it's like my producer, you know, she'll see the dailies and then um, the other producers will also look at it. You know, the company will look at it. So it's like whatever they need change, like they'll funnel to me, but they will never be breathing down my neck because I fucking hate that. Like, I'm someone who flourishes by working with my actors, you know, and um, and that's how I work the best. I have a lot of anxiety when I feel like I have to do things a certain way. I mean, I'll do it, but like, I'm constantly feeling like I can't really truly bring the show to 
what it could be. So with this, like when we're talking about like the two, I flourish better on my own. And then I flourish better with someone who's like watching from far away and would give me constructive criticism once in a while and I'll apply it but not next to me consistently. It would drive me nuts. You know, I, it makes me think of, I had been really like in a world where I was working very closely with producers, both on episodic work and the commercials. It was just like, it was just like over my shoulder in a way that was like a lot. And then I remember doing a short that I wrote and directed myself and doing a shot or two and then, and calling cut, and realizing like, oh, no one's, no one's at the, mo- no one saw that but me. <laughs> and your you DP. Know? And my yeah. DP. Yeah, yeah. But like, it wasn't, my DP's operating, you know, and this was a bare bones, like passion project. So, and feeling isolated for a second, like it's nice to like high five people a little bit, you know, at, at least like, you know, my sound person, so some, you want somebody to be like, oh yeah, that was funny. You know, just like a little smile, right? Oftentimes when you're doing rehearsals and you've got a bigger team and, you know, your whole grip crew and your gap, everybody's watching and laughing, then you know it's working. It's like nice to have a little bit of that external validation, but but that's slightly different than what we're describing of like people kind of like not supervising, but like looking over your shoulder, like no one's double checking you. And that it is sometimes nice to have the, you know, just the peace of mind extra eyes of like oh there's not like a dumb water bottle on my period set or something you know what i mean right no i think that that totally makes sense my kind of pro tip or amateur tip depending on how you look at it is uh is i've been in that situation a lot of times where i feel like the shot was good but i don't know and if no one says anything i will ask the cinematographer hey what what'd you think of that or i'll ask the actors like what'd you guys think does that did that feel good to you like is there any other version of that that you think we need and I try to really lay the groundwork because sometimes you'll do one take and you're like, yeah, that's kind of exactly what I pictured, but I feel like I should take another, do another take, you know, and you just want someone else to to say something. But you also want the, maybe not the second take, but the third take to be something different. Like you don't need three of the same take, right? Yeah, I could throw it to your actors, have fun with this one. That's something I always like to do, too. And also, I lean very heavily on my script supervisor, very heavily, because they're always watching the scene. And, um, you know, I love Hannah Driscoll, Aaron Sauerland. These are, like, filmmakers of their own. You know, they'll be like, yeah, yeah, great. And then I'll be like, oh, does this make sense to the audience? Did you feel that, you know? (laughs) And I know they'll be honest with me, right? So um, if I don't have a producer... Uh, you know, looking at the monitor with me, at least I have another set of eyes that I know that I can trust. Yeah. Or some ADs, some of my favorite ADs will be like, oh, that was funny. What if they did this? You know, like, oh, yeah, me too. Yeah, totally. I love, I, to me, I love not being, I'm lonely enough at home, you know, (laughs) working on my own things. On set, I want other people to be judging the stuff we're making. So that we can make it better. Yeah, just like a little reinforcement, I think is nice. But I think also, you know, all three of us have spent this entire hour reiterating that we we understand that we're kind of like responsible for our work ultimately. And that like no one is going to care as much as we do and therefore or, or see the potential the way we can. And so like that's 
that's the back and forth basically and sometimes you are paid to care You're paid less to shut up not to care less to <laughs> <laughs> I, I always say yeah i, guess. I, true, I get true, paid true, to take true. notes take the money and run y'all well awesome well roxy i know you have a 5 a.m call time tomorrow and it's getting <laughs> late but can you hang out with us for an unpaid endorsement yes i would love that unpaid endorsements so my unpaid endorsement is uh, a hack that I figured out. I've been in the early stages of getting um, a feature going, and I was thinking about all of the different ways that I can finance it. And I was thinking to myself, oh, boy, you know, film culture isn't really built around talking about how people finance movies very much, right? Like there's, you know, you always hear those stories of like, oh, private equity or sell it to a studio or the dentist route or whatever. And like, it's not really clear how people source investors or any of that's how they pitch them all that stuff what a business plan even looks like but startup culture is all about that series a like seed capital sort of culture and so there's a ton of tutorials and you know uh people chatter people talking about all of the different ways in which they're getting their startups going and it was a really refreshing way to think about just the the world of financing a project, even though, you know, they use terms like moonshot and this and that, there's still that same sort of financial mindset that a startup has to have, that a film has to have. And so I found a lot of inspiration and solace and motivation in like digging through different startup based sort of communities to see, um, how to get a film going, or at least to think about a different way of, of approaching getting a film going. So that's my hack. It's just like my endorsement is think about your film like a startup. We've always known we need to think about it like a, a business, but why not think about it like the trendiest business that has this whole culture of investment around it? Um, Raxi, huh? are you ready to endorse with us? What do you got? So something that I really like to do um, to sort of break up the, I like to bring a lot of energy to set. So usually it's like after a cut, like uh, I would crack a joke or I'll laugh really hard, you know, just to sort of break up, especially emotional scenes or violent scenes or anything that's extremely cathartic, you know, just to sort of break up because either they st- they have to stay in it like for the different takes, but after it's done, applaud them. You know, it's like, oh my God, that's so good. Let's take a shot or something like that. Or, and then um, uh, when like you have a lot of people, a lot of background in a scene for a party scene or anything like that, it's really good to create that energy with the way that you say action, right? So something that I love to do is I like to say, let's dance. <laughs> um, so it gets people you know super energized so just be cognizant of like the type of tone and energy you're you're setting for the mood of your scene when you so hold on i want to have i would dig in a little more when you say let's dance do you mean in as a replacement for action um oh no 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 it's a, it would be like all right let's dance let's roll you know, uh-huh. gotcha, yeah. gotcha, cool, cool. And cool. then wouldn't it be funny if you're like, "All right, everybody, let's dance," and then you just go action, mm-hmm. <laughs> like very softly, and then it just like confuses the actors, which is what some people like to do, which I don't understand. But oh, I do that. Yeah, I mean, I I do that when I can. Um, my wife just did an audition the other day where she was something where she's like really annoyed by a customer or something. Oh, she works in HR. And she's in a, and she's 
explaining to someone why this company is why this company values diverse hires or something like that and we did one version where she's like you know very straight she's at a meeting she's behind the desk and she's you know an hr person and she's just really being matter of fact and explaining to a person like what the company does and we were trying to rack our brains we recently whenever my wife auditions we've just always been sending two takes especially if it's kind of a like a smaller role um or a commercial or something and uh I was like, well, what if we do one version where it's just like, you're just so busy, you're talking to a thousand people, and this is like, you're walking, you're, you know, trying to get all these things, you're late to a meeting, like, let's just do a version where it's just like, this person is the, the you're just like kind of parroting something you've told a million people before, and you don't care at all about them. Um, and so for a scene like that, like right before action, I'd be like, uh, I'd be like, okay, you got a hundred places to be, and you're late to a meeting, ready, and action, you know, so I'd try to do a little bit of that my new camera that i have the sony it beeps when you hit the record button so i don't need to say action which i kind of love because i you know especially in an audition when it's not really edited you're kind of trying to say action right before you press the record button but i i love i love an audible camera sound for when the camera's rolling for that thing but um but yeah i i love that let's dance with my daughter i'm always like saying let's rock and roll yeah i'll say let's rock and she'll say and roll Um, but uh but yeah no i love action is i know a lot of directors don't use it or people think it's cool to not say it but i think it is like an actually a surprisingly useful tool to a lot of actors need it and they ask they ask for it too like can you give me an action you know or else they're sort of wondering when yeah yeah like it's just another way of saying we're starting yeah (laughs) go you know like my wife has also been auditioning for like host roles, like scripted shows where she plays like a host of some sort. And I'll do that like SNL thing. Like, okay, ready? And five, four, and with the fingers. Oh, yeah, that's three, always two, good. They, they Wayne's World, it. man. Wayne's I, used yeah. to think, I used to think I was such a genius for doing that auteur thing where it's like, whenever you're ready, you know? But then I realized that's just action. that <laughs> You yeah. say it differently. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, but longer and a little confusing. <laughs> mm-hmm. I like we whenever you're that. ready for something that either they need to get into some mood or it's like kind of complicated blocking wise and they need to get into a rhythm in their head, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah. You wait difference. for five minutes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, Still getting there. <laughs> sorry, I've never been ready. I hate this movie. Um, okay, cool. Well, I'll give, I was going to maybe give some Airbnb tips because I just um, went to an Airbnb and uh, I realize my tips are probably way worse than anything you would Google. But if you go to a place with a pool, bring a pump. First of all, <laughs> I spent half of my oh, Airbnb you, you vacation. Mean like like, uh, like to inflate pool to inflate toys, pool. you mean? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've just breathed out. So I spent half a day inflating things with yeah, my yeah, yeah. breath. You're still lightheaded. You're still lightheaded. And also, I and I bet most people know this, but I just never do this. But bring like a set of tools, you know, because like when you're somewhere. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Like a, door breaks or like you're trying to plug your computer into something and it's not working like i don't know i think um having some tools is always nice when you're at a rental house um but i have a a more film related thing is i've been on a lot of zoom pitches and meetings and things lately and i know this is super obvious but it just bears saying when you're on zoom everyone's name is written on their box and it's very useful to say like roxy uh how's it going matt how you doing Use people's names in a Zoom. There's nothing easier than knowing people's names on a Zoom. It's so much easier than the call conference calls we used to have where you 
forget everyone's name after a second. And anytime anyone says anything, like remember, especially in commercials, but in, in, in any pitch situation or any meeting situation to like, like how much better it is to build on some other person than it is to just kind of talk without uh, including other people. So like Roxy said, she's a collaborator. I'm also a collaborator. And like Matt said, you know, he enjoys having just saying the like Roxy said or like Matt said or building on what Matt said, even if what I'm building on has nothing to do with what you said. It's just a thing that I've found has made my Zoom meetings good and make I try to mention everyone's name at least once to make sure everyone knows that I think they're important, no matter if they're the lowest assistant or like the head of the company. You know, I, I just think it's a it's a easy, very easy thing to do on Zooms. And it's something I've been doing a lot. And I think people seem to like it. So. That's just a great, Zoom because tip. this way they feel more engaged too. That's right. Well, just like uh, Oren said and what Roxy said, I think we've all learned a ton uh, on this episode. Thanks so much uh, for joining us, Roxy. Thank you for having me, y'all. Remind us one more time, um, how can listeners find out more about you and keep track of the myriad of projects that you have rolling out you can follow me on the gram instagram.com slash roxy she there's also a hashtag super director roxy that i created years ago and i've just been stacking on it to feed my ego so it's pretty wonderful also... though it's pretty wonderful <laughs> it's like it's like a scrapbook of your journey yeah, yeah. um and uh twitter roxy she 88 Cool. And are you, do you have a website? Do you do websites? I do. It's just Roxy Sheet. Basically, it's just Roxy Sheet, y'all. Just like if you know my name, just like go look for it. You can find me on all dark corners of the internet. S H I H. Roxy. R O X Y. She. Thank you. Um, well, awesome. Well, if you want to find out more about our show or anything you heard about today, it'll all be in the show notes at justshootitpod.com. You can email us. We'd love to hear from you. We're at justshootitpod at gmail.com. You can check us out on all social media at Just Shoot It Pod. And we would love to get a review from you on iTunes and IMDb. If you have the time, you can find Don't me. Don't forget to follow us on Spotify. And follow Spotify. us on Spotify. And uh, yeah, I'm on Twitter. I'm at SmiteyPileg. Good luck spelling that. I'm on Instagram at OKaplan. And I'm at Mr. Bad Emo across all social media. This episode was edited by our very own Sarah Weirda. Our social media maestro is Derek Aiello. And our consulting producer is Ali Kornfeld. You're listening to the Free Music Archive and the artist Jazar. And that's all she wrote. Yep. See you next time. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. 
Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.